Welcome to Victory Fellowship's online podcast library. We hope you enjoy this message today. I want to uh, read this morning out of Acts chapter 3. Uh, these aren't all on my notes in the back, so you guys might have to listen up. Acts 3, verse, start with verse 17 out of the New King James Bible. I'm going to read in just a second. But this is, um, you know, this is the second historic message, Acts chapter 3, is the second historic message preached by, by the Apostle Peter. Um, Acts chapter 2, we all, all are very aware of that, that message where he began to preach out of the book of Joel and began to prophesy, and he began to answer the questions, you know, the, there was a, that initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I think it's, it's really interesting to me, if, if you observe these two occasions for these sermons, they were both spontaneous. The first one was in response to a an outpouring of the Holy Spirit where first 120 people and afterwards over 3,000 people were being spontaneously baptized in the Holy Spirit in public. It was a public, shocking demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. And there, was, there were thousands of witnesses watching this and all of them with a different take on what they were seeing. You know, eyewitnesses, eyewitness accounts can be quite interesting. If you ever, if you ever, if you ever seen something, you've got the, the people that were involved's account, you've got the observer's account, maybe you have the policeman's account. Everybody's account reads differently. And does anyone listen to me? And so um, there was all sorts of different opinions about what was taking place that day. And Peter stood up with a voice of authority to say, no, 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 you, this, this, this is what this is, this is that which the prophets foretold. And he began to, to prophesy out of the book of Joel that this was what the prophets had said was coming for hundreds of years, a last day outpouring of the Holy Spirit that would affect all nations. That's the day we live in. We live in that day, the last days of this earth from the beginning at the day of Pentecost, ending at the second coming of Jesus Christ, the latter day outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, God dealt with the, basically with one nation. In the New Testament, he began to, to, to go to the nations. He began to go to, to the Gentiles. Every tribe and every tongue began to experience these outpourings of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Peter was prophesying. In Acts chapter 3, we have another prophetic word, and this one started after another public demonstration of the power of God. The first one was this Pentecostal outpouring of people speaking in tongues. In Acts chapter 3, it was a, it was a demonstration of the power of God, this lame man who had been in the same place for years in the temple. He'd been there all his life, begging alms in the temple. He was paralyzed. He couldn't walk. Jesus had walked by him. The apostles had probably walked by him hundreds of times. But this day was different. When he locked eyes on the apostles and Peter looked at him, something, something took place. There was a connection by the power of the Holy Ghost that took place. Before you know it, Peter had him by the hand. The guy was up on his feet and he began to run around the Bible said walking and leaping and praising God. And this was, it was a shocking demonstration of God's not coming, but God has come. He's here. He's here now amongst us. 
God is here. And he, Peter began to, to preach from that. He began to preach as, a, again, the crowd had gathered. It wasn't a, 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 a prepared um, congregation. It was a, a spontaneous congregation that were eyewitnesses, again, of this Pentecostal power, the healing power of God being demonstrated in the streets of Jerusalem. And Peter began to preach his second, his second sermon in Acts chapter 3. And this is what he says. He says, yet now, brethren... He's talking about the crucifixion. He's already been preaching about that, um, starting with, um, well, we'll go back, verse 11. This is where it starts, Acts 3, 11. And now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's. They were greatly amazed. And when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate's when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer, Barabbas. Asked for Barabbas to be granted to you. And you killed the prince of life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. Well, there wasn't really a, a seeker-friendly message, was it? And his name, I guess Peter hadn't been to the latest conference to get his preaching straight. Anyway, and his name, through faith in his name, had made this man strong. Peter's, he's, he's still preaching. He says his name, the name of Jesus, and through faith in his name, has made this man strong or made him whole, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he is thus fulfilled. So this is his message. Repent, therefore. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. You're not supposed to preach that, don't you know, Peter? Now, you know, if, 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 if you haven't realized this, Jesus, you know, the first message that, the first full message that we hear about is the one that he preached at Nazareth, when he's preached the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. But that wasn't Jesus' first sermon. His first sermon is recorded in the beginning of Mark, and also in the beginning of Matthew, does anyone remember what it was? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That was the first sermon that Jesus preached. Repent, the same one that Peter, Peter's heard this message before. Peter had been around for three years, and he heard Jesus preach this over and over and over again. And he began to apply it to the present circumstances. He said, repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Why? So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before whom God, whom heaven must receive until the times of the restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So we'll just take a few minutes. I want to break down these, these few verses, 19, 20, and 21. I want us to just focus on several words that Peter used here. The first one is the, is the one that, that we are, again, not supposed to ever, ever say. We are never uh, supposed to allow these words come out of our mouth, especially in the, in the current 
politically correct climate that we live under. Repent. We're supposed to all be tolerant of everyone else's beliefs and the way they live their life. Your opinion is as good as my opinion, and you do, you can live your way, your life any way you want to, but the Bible doesn't teach that. There is an authority, there is an absolute, there is a way to live our lives according to the Word of God. And, and Peter preached, he says, repent. Well, let's, let's see what this word, what did Peter mean by this? He's, in um, um, the Amplified Bible, it says, this is the way it says in the Amplified Bible, change your mind and your purpose. That's what the word me repent means. It means to change your mind about things and to, and to change your purpose. I wrote, I wrote two, three thoughts down that comes to my mind when I think of this. Number one is to change your way of life, to change the way you're living your life. Now, that's, that's how many people know that that's easier said than done? How, how, many, you know, how, many, how many New Year's resolutions never make it past the first week? I read, I read today that, that, that we should no longer call them New Year's resolutions. We should call them the job description for our first week of January rather than New Year's resolutions because they'll never make it past the first week. If we're just depending on human ability and human strength, that's not what Peter's talking about. Peter's not talking about turning over a new leaf or doing your best to stop smoking or doing your best to lose weight. He's talking about a supernatural encounter with the living God that changes everything. So this, let's, let's dig a little more into this. This, this, this word book, Laonidas, says it means to change one's way of life, to change one's way of life as the result of a complete change of thought and attitude with regard to sin and righteousness to a whole different a whole different change now how does that take place it's the change of the heart a change of the very will that's at the center of your being it's it's something that's unexpected it's something that's supernatural it's something you've heard me mention over and over again in our altar calls specifically at the beyond the grave altar calls i talk about a, a supernatural heart transplant it's not something we can do sometimes we don't even want to do it i always share from my own testimony in regard to this i never dreamed in a million years that I would ever stop smoking pot. Never, never thought it. I thought it was absolutely out of the question. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even enter the conversation. I could never see myself in another life or another lifestyle until the day God granted me repentance supernaturally. What is repentance? It was a change of will. It wasn't that it was the God came and said, oh, that's bad, bad, bad. You're not allowed to do that anymore. Thou shalt not smoke reefer anymore. That's not what he said to me. He came and gave me a radical heart change, a radical change of my will. I was going this way and suddenly and unexpectedly I was going that way. It was a 180 degree turnaround going that way, a brand new life. Everything changed for me. It was shocking, it was unexpected, it was spontaneous, and it was absolutely supernatural. It was the work of God. So repentance and, re and re this is also regeneration. Repentance is connected. You can't have repentance without regeneration. Regeneration is what Jesus told 
Nicodemus that he needed, the Pharisee. He said, Nicodemus, you can try to be spiritual and religious all you want. You can memorize the Torah. You can obey the law of Moses and you can try to do it. But unless a man, even you, are born again, unless there's regeneration, a change of the very essence of your nature, a change of your will, you'll never see the kingdom of God. It's a supernatural work and it's granted by God supernaturally. It's the work of God. It's the work of God in the soul of man. It's what God does. It's what man can't do. I don't have the capacity to change my will. That's why this, this regeneration and this life change is so critical. It helps us go through the minefields of life. It helps us overcome the temptations that are in this world. It helps us to, to get out of the minefields of pornography or substance abuse or alcohol abuse. It helps us to get out of those minefields that destroy our souls. It helps us deliver us from, from the addiction to, to, to finances and, and to just being a successful person. It delivers us from all of the foolishness of this life. It satisfies us with God alone. Repentance, it's the grace of God. So that's the, that's the first word that stands out to me. And then we go to the second part of verse 19, where Peter said, repent and therefore turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Wow, blotted out, blotted out. You know, that is, that is huge. There are, there are sins or skeletons lurking in the closets of your mind that try to destroy you every day. There are things that you did that you never thought you would ever do in a million years. You violated your own conscience. You violated your own belief system. You did things you vowed you'd never do in a million years. You were the person that would never shoot drugs. You were the person that would never commit adultery. You were the person that would never steal from someone else. And you, find your, you found yourself doing the very things that you criticized others of doing. But for the grace of God, the grace of God comes and not only grants us repentance, but he blots out. Peter said that he would blot out. This, again, the word book, Laonita, says to wipe off, to wipe away, to cause something to cease by obliterating any evidence. He will obliterate any evidence of your past life or lifestyle. As far as God's concerned, it's non-existent. It never happens. That person never existed. He doesn't hold your past over you. He washes your, clay, your slate absolutely clean. It's part, it's part of the repentance thing. There's a transformation of who we are. The grace of God changes us and blots out our past. Clean. Absolutely clean. You know, the, the so-called grace message today, it, it eliminates the delivering parts. It, it tells us that, that it's okay that God, that we have, that it, it, it'll say stuff like, well, that's the way God made you, or, or you're, you know, God understands that we all have weaknesses, that nobody's perfect. Oh, but, but, but God is perfect. And he requires perfection in his presence. He, well, I, don't, I don't like that. It's, it's actually what Martin Luther fought against. It says he was, he was banging, he was banging against the Pauline epistles. He said, I despise the righteousness and justice of God. I hate it. Until one day, like a light, it shone into his heart and he saw that perfection is a gift. Righteousness is a gift. 
It's a gift that's given to us by grace. It's not only repentance, but he wipes our slate clean. Oh no, I'm, I'm, of course, I'm not saying that I've become perfect never in a million years. But the perfect one, the perfect one has been credited to my accounts. He's clothed me with the garments of Christ's righteousness. The righteousness of Christ has been appropriated to me, has been credited to my accounts. So if the Father looks at me, my sins have been blotted out. Paul said in Hebrews 9.26, For then Christ would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, He appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself once and for all. He obliterated it. He obliterated your sins. He doesn't remember who you were and what you did. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God. Joseph said God had made him forget because God is, God is forgetful. God forgot. He forgot what I used to be. Thank you, Lord. Wow, and then and he goes on. I'm going to read out of the, that same verse out of the Amplified Bible. He says, um, this, is, this is what repentance is for. He says, repent. Change your mind and your purpose. Turn around and return to God, that your sins may be blotted out. What for? The times of refreshing. Times of refreshing, of recovery from the effects of heat, of reviving with fresh air may come from the presence of the Lord. You know, you go out there in this world and sometimes this world can be brutal. It can, the, the bad news that happens, the circumstances that you find yourself in unexpectedly can be like a baseball bat slammed, slamming you beside the side of your heads. Have you ever felt like, man, I just need to catch my breath? Well, that's what this is. An opportunity for you to spiritually catch your breath. Times of refreshing. Times of refreshing. You know, that's... Again, you know, this was the, the defining moment for our church, 1994. I felt like I had been slammed in the head by a, a number of baseball bats. I'd been battered and beaten, and I was, I was done. I was done. I was done with ministry. I was done with people. I was done with trying. I didn't want to try. I was, I was finished, finished. I needed fresh air. I thought I needed a vacation, is what I thought. I, I needed a, a long vacation. And he gave me a different kind, he came and gave me a different kind of vacation. It was a, a spiritual vacation, a spiritual time of refreshing. Paul, uh, the, the, other, the other phrase for this is called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's what it is. It's what Paul that's what um, John the Baptist prophesied about. He says, there's one coming after me who's mightier than I. I baptize you with water. I immerse you in water. But he's going to immerse you into the, into the substance of heaven. He's going to immerse you into the Holy Spirit, the living waters of God. He's going to bring you into this time of refreshment, spiritual refreshing. It's refreshing to our souls. 
I could not continue in the ministry without the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I couldn't continue without his daily refreshing, his daily washing over me with times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. I couldn't continue without drinking in his goodness on a daily, on a daily basis. So let, let me go through, it says a couple other um, things in this word study. Law and Nita, relief, relief from distressful, burdensome circumstances. <laughs> Anybody got anybody stressed out out there? Anybody heavy burdens? Maybe I'm just preaching to the choir. I'm, you got anyone got any problems out there? Do you have? So he gives us breathing space. Strong's word book says properly a recovery of breath, revival. The Mount's New Testament word book says refreshing coolness after heat, refreshing recreation and rest. It comes from the presence of the Lord. I love that. Let's go on and read verse 20 and 21. Um, okay. Oh, this is cool. He says, The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he might send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus. Now here's, this is, this is, this is powerful. He says that the times of refreshing may come from where? Where's it going to come from? Somebody say it. The presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord. You know, that's, that's what came, came into this room as we were worshiping earlier today. It was the presence of the Lord. You know the word in, in the, that, that Peter used here? The word presence is the same word in the Greek language for face. The face of the Lord. It's the face. The face. He said, the, 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 he said times of refreshing may come from the from the presence of the Lord. Does anyone, if you haven't, you know, do you remember what the first of the Ten Commandments were? Does anyone have no other gods before you to make no image of anything in heaven or on earth? There's only one image in heaven that we're to have anything associated with, and it's the face of God. It's the face of Jesus Christ. Coming from the face, this incredible person, God himself took upon himself a human body with a human face. And flowing out from the face of the Lord, seated at the right hand of glory, our heavenly intercessor, flowing out as radiance beyond, beyond compare, the son of righteousness like Malachi prophesied in chapter four, the son of righteousness has risen, he's risen with healing in his beams and seated at the very right hand of the Father, there's radiance shining out from the face of Jesus Christ. And in this radiance that's shining out into the earth, there's everything that pertains to life and godliness. You step into that light, step into the light of his countenance and everything changes. You can't walk in that light when you're walking in darkness. You can't walk in that light when you're still compromising and living a compromising lifestyle, living a, a sinful lifestyle. You can't live in the light of the glory of God when you're living like the world is. You have to step out of the darkness and step into the radiance of the light of the glory of God. Allow him to grant you repentance. Allow him to blot out your sins. Allow him to bring his Holy Spirit upon your life and let the glory of God flow out from the face of Jesus Christ over and over. Ramosenda beshoresta balambrekata upon his church in the last days. 
This is how Jesus said it in John 16. He said it like this. He said, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, the spirit of reality, he will guide you into all reality, for he will, he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. He will talk about me. He will lift me up. He will, he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine, and he will declare it to you. Thank you, Jesus. Now, here's the, here's the fruit of this. We're going to finish with this last, Acts 3.21. And this thought really comes out of Joel chapter 2, and the same passage that Peter was preaching from, a few verses up from where his message began. You know, we don't have the full... I'd love to hear the full message the day of Pentecost. We only have a portion of it. I'd love to hear the rest of it. He said, with many other words, he exhorted the people. I'd love to hear what the rest of that sermon was like. But probably, I would imagine he probably preached from the same passage. In that passage of Joel, one of the, the, the themes that Joel entered into as a result of the Pentecostal outpouring would be a time of restoration. That God would restore things that had been lost things that had been stolen from God's people, things that you lost. You know, sin brings consequences, if you haven't figured it out yet. Yeah, there's forgiveness, but there's consequences. When you, when you do stuff, stuff happens, it comes around and bites you. But the Lord brings us in His seasons and in His times as a result of, of repentance, as a result of our sins being blotted out, as a result of drinking in His presence and getting under His countenance and allowing His glory to come upon us, He brings us into seasons of restoration where He begins to restore and rebuild things that were stolen from us, whether it's a marriage or whether it's a body or whether it's a family. Job's life was restored. Oh yeah, he lost a lot. He lost his kids, he lost his money, he lost his herds, and he lost his wife. But God restored and gave back to Job twofold everything that he lost. There is a God that restores what's been lost and what's been stolen from you. I'm telling you, if you get under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he will restore what's been stolen from you throughout your life. Here's how Peter preached at Acts 3.21. He says, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets. Again, allow and need a word study book to change to a previous good state, to restore, to cause again to be time of restoration, the times of restoration of all things of which God spoke until the time of making all things new of which God spoke. Restitution, restoration of a thing to its former state. What was humans' former state? What was our former state? What was the state we were intended to live in? What was the state that man was created to enjoy? What was that state? That was a state of, of intimacy and fellowship with God. Oh yeah, we lost a lot in the garden. We lost our, our health. We lost the blessing that was on the crops in the ground. We lost, really, our ability to, to not die, to live our whole life without experiencing death. But the one thing that we lost that was more costly than anything else, the very root of our loss as humans, was our fellowship with Almighty God. That's what we lost. 
And this, this is what's restored. Do you hear me? This is, this is the message. This is what Peter is preaching. The restoration of what man lost. The very, very essence of what we lost as human beings at the fall of man is restored on the day of Pentecost. It wasn't fully restored until Pentecost. The, the, legally, it was purchased for us at the cross, but it was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. And this is what they begin to see and they begin to hear times of restoration from the things of, that we've lost in, in this world. One last scripture I have to read to you today before we pray. And this is about fullness. It's about salvation and wholeness. It's available to all of us today. It says, therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost. Now, this word uttermost is a really powerful word. It, mean, it, mean, it really has two, two meanings to understand it completely. It means totally, and it means finally or eternally. It means completely and forever. Completely and forever. Completely and forever. It's a final thing. It's a total thing. He's able to save or to make me whole to the uttermost. Those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. All of this is true because I have a Savior who's seated at the right hand of God. I have a heavenly intercessor. There's a man, the man Christ Jesus, who represents me from the Father. There's glory flowing out from his face. There's love pouring out from him. There's prayers flowing out from him, flowing over me. And as I step into his glory, as I step under the influence of his holy presence, there's restoration, there's wholeness, there's salvation. It affects my whole being. It affects my spirit man. It affects my soul. It affects my human body. I'm affected by the influence of the Holy Ghost upon my life, pouring over me. Jesus, Jesus, we're standing this morning, Lord. We're standing where the mercy falls. Lord, I'm standing in your house. Lord, in the house of God, the place Jacob called Bethel. I'm standing in the house of God, the place where glory, where your glory falls, Lord. Oh, yeah, I believe in his church. I believe in the body of Christ. I believe in the apostles and prophets. Oh yeah, I believe in the five-fold ministry. I believe that Christ was raised from the dead. I believe that his church is alive and it's not dead. I believe in his authority that's being quickened in the body of Christ today. I believe there's life and wholeness for whosoever will, for whoever's thirsty. There's change, there's help, and there's hope for all of us. He loves us deeply. He loves us desperately. He loves us finally. He loves us completely. He loves us unconditionally. He loves us when there's no reason to love us. He just loves us because he wants to. He's chosen to love you and he's attracting you. You think, well, how can I be sure that I'm included? Do you feel an attraction to him? That's your assurance. Oh yeah. If you feel an attraction to him, it's your assurance that you're his. 
If you feel a strange attraction in your soul that says, I, I want more in my life, it's an assurance that he loves you, that he's calling you, and today, today is your day. Thanks for listening. Check out our website at www.victoryfellowship.net for service times and for more information. 